I'll invite you to join with me as we read the scripture this morning. We're continuing in Matthew 8, and our passage this morning is Matthew 8, verses 24, uh, 28 sorry, through 34. Um, if you are going to uh, be reading from the Pew Bible, which you may find um, under the seat in front of you, it's on page 862. So Matthew 8, verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. too many books up with me here. I'm not, not quite sure where, where I'm doing here. All right. So uh, we are continuing through Matthew's gospel, this uh, ancient uh, biography of the life of Jesus written by his disciple Levi or Matthew, who followed Jesus. We're going to be introduced to Matthew in chapter 9, actually, and, and hear his calling. Um, but just to situate us again, it's always helpful to kind of understand the flow of, uh, of a biography like this, of a gospel. So, uh, Matthew, remember, you might remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this teaching of what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. When life, when Jesus is king, when, when you submit to Jesus as the king, and you're in the kingdom of heaven, what does that life look like? And and that, that concluded with the crowds who were listening in on that uh, description of kingdom life saying, wow, this is quite a teacher. He teaches as someone who has authority. And now Matthew chapter 8, as we continue on, Jesus is going to demonstrate that he indeed has the authority to teach authoritatively. And uh, he's, he's showing his authority in a lot of different ways. He, he, uh, he comes to across a leper who comes to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus had authority over the leprosy. And then he's met by a centurion, uh, which is a... a a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers who uh, was living in Capernaum, who was the occupying force of uh, Israel at the time, and, sa- and comes to Jesus and says, my servant, the servant that's really valuable to me, that I love, he's very ill, he's about to die. 
And Jesus says, all right, should I come to your house to heal him? And the, sermon, the centurion says, Jesus, Jesus, I, I understand how authority works. I'm under authority and I have authority. I, you know, when I receive orders, I do it. When I give orders, they're done. So just say the word, Jesus. You don't have to come all the way to my house. I'm not worthy to have you in my home. Just say the word and my servant will be well. And Jesus says, great faith. You've come humbly. You've come believing. It will be done according to how you've believed. And Jesus has authority over disease at a distance in, in response to the faith the centurion has in the authority of Jesus. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. We're not sure if Peter was thankful or not. Um, and then... <laughs> and then there's this uh, interlude. So there's three miracles, and this is, this is going to be repeated. There's th- three sets of three miracles in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. And in between each, after each set of three, there is a, an interlude of a, of a call for response, an invitation to discipleship. Come and follow Jesus because he has authority. He has authority. And so, um, you know, Michael spoke on that a couple of weeks ago where um, people come and say, Lord, I'll follow you. And he says, well, you have to give up everything in order to follow me because I have authority. Last week, Matt led us through um, now the first of the second set of three miracles where Jesus demonstrates that he has authority over a storm. As they're sailing, they set out from Capernaum uh, across the Sea of Galilee where they're going to end their, 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 um, their trip in our passage. Uh, but a great storm rises and Jesus speaks a word to the storm, be still. He rebukes the wind and the waves and the storm ends. Jesus has authority over disease, both close and far. He has authority over the lives of his followers. He has authority to, over nature. And this morning we'll see he has authority over evil spirits so let's we're gonna just work our way through this passage and i'll try to explain some things because it's not straightforward Uh, if it's straightforward to you then you're much smarter than me uh verse 28 when he came had come to the other side to the region of the gadarenes two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs they were so violent that no one could pass that way. So uh, it's helpful, I think, sometimes just to have a, a mental picture, a, a, a map uh, of, the, of the, the region where Jesus was living and doing ministry. And, um, and so here's, uh, here's the map of first century Israel. The, the, the region of Galilee, which is slightly shaded orange in the top, there weren't like hard and fast borders to a lot of these regions. And so it's kind of... Um, in the north, that's where Jesus spent most of his life. You see Nazareth there, which is where he spent his, his um, childhood. Uh, Capernaum at the north, of, on the north bank of the Sea of Galilee, is where most of his ministry, it was kind of like home base for ministry for him. Um, not, not shown on there is uh, another city called Tiberias, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So, and uh, you see Gennesaret there. That's, there's some stories that happen uh, in Gennesaret as well. Sometimes you'll read about the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Gennesaret. It's the same sea. It's the Sea of Galilee. It's just talking about where they launch out into the sea from. Um, so Jesus is leaving from Capernaum. He's going southeast down to the region of the Gadarenes. See, Gadara, in, uh, and again, in the region is called Decapolis. That's in, it's in white. It's probably hard to see here. But the Decapolis was a region of 
10 cities, that's what deca means, 10, uh, a region of 10 uh, Gentile cities with some uh, like semi-autonomous, there was still Roman control, and yet they were um, separate from Israel. And that region of the Decapolis is, is primarily on the east side of the Jordan River, although it, just south of Galilee, it does come across into um, south of Galilee onto the west side of the Jordan River. So Jesus has kind of come down southeast. He's come to the other side, which in Matthew's gospel is always a sign that he has come from a Jewish region to a Gentile region. He's gone to the dark side. He's gone to the other side. Um, and so that's, that's where this has happened. He's now on the southeast uh, side of uh, the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis which is the region. So there's Galilee, there's Samaria, there's the Decapolis, there's Judea, which includes Jerusalem, which is in the south. Those are the main regions um, that you'll read about in the Gospels. And so as they land, Jesus and his disciples are accosted by two men who are demon-possessed. So here we have to stop and talk about demons, demon possession. You might be thinking, what kind of a ch- what have I walked into? What kind of a church is this? I just came for some watermelon. I heard there's watermelon later on, and you're talking about demons? What is going on, weirdos? Well, the Bible talks about demons quite a bit, so, so should we. So, um, first of all, what are demons? Demons um, are angels created by God. Uh, spiritual beings uh, who followed their chief angel, Lucifer or Satan, in a rebellion against God, who, who, who claimed God's throne for themselves, or some people believe claimed like the throne of the Son of God for themselves, wanted the glory that was due only to God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, for themselves. And so they were, their plan was thwarted. They were kicked out of heaven. And now they are opposed to God and his people, dedicated to death and destruction, dedicated in rebellion and opposition to God and God's people. That's, that's what demons are. They're spiritual beings. Now, what does it mean to be demon-possessed? Demon-possessed. I think it's an unfortunate translation. To the, there's, there's one Greek word um, that's always translated, uh, whenever you read someone is demon-possessed or oppressed by a demon or troubled by a demon, depending on your translation, it's always referring to one Greek word. But it, it's a word that does not mean ownership. It does not mean ownership. Like, that's what we think of when we think of possessions, right? Like, it's the things I own. And so we think if someone's demon-possessed, they're owned by the demons. Now, the Bible's clear that people are either owned by God or by Satan. That we don't, you know, 21st century Canada, we don't like to think in black and white terms. We like, like to think about gradients and gray, you know, but somewhere, like, somewhere between, you can be in between. Like, but the Bible's clear, actually. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light, there's the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of life and the kingdom of death. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of darkness. There are two kingdoms, and you are citizens of one or the other. And there is, like, there is not like a halfway 
in between. Like I'm, I've got feet in both camps. Like that's, it, the, the scripture's actually clear, like that's not an option. You can't hold two passports. So for example, Ephesians chapter two, verse one and two, you were dead before, this is talking to the Ephesian Christians, before they came to faith in Jesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Possession is positional. When you come to faith in Christ, we can say you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. You now belong to God. You're God's possession. You now, you're, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son he loves. There is, a, there is like a stark, you're in one or the other. You are belonging, you are possessed by either God or the devil. Or 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this age, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That word cannot is a strong word, actually. You can't, like, if you're outside of Christ, you cannot see the glory of God in Jesus. You're blinded by the evil one. Which is why we pray when we preach the gospel, when we share the good news about Jesus, why we pray God would open their hearts, God would deliver them. And so to, to come into the kingdom of God is, is to switch allegiance, to come and become aligned with the kingdom of God. But all that to say, that's not what this is talking about. That's not what demon possession is talking about. It's not talking about Christian believer or unbeliever. It's, it's something slightly different. There is a, like I said, one Greek word, demonizomai, demonizomai, which is probably best translated demonized, which means, or which has the sense of being oppressed or tormented or troubled or vexed by demons influenced that that to be demonized is to is for a demon to have a high degree of influence in your life so much that they could even control what you say or what you do with your body these men are demonized and they are violently strong and fierce there's other uh, accounts in the life of Jesus you can read about in the gospel of demons who made people mute or blind, caused physical deformity or epilepsy and convulsions, masochism and, and, and self-harm. There's, a, there's, a, there's varying degrees of control and demonization that like, there are some people who, who have no choice left at all that like that they're just at the, the whim of whatever the demon does. But there's other people who are coming to Jesus with, with their trouble. They're demonized, and yet they're making the choice to come to Jesus for him to deal with it. There can be multiple demons. The uh, Mark account of this, uh, of our passage today, Jesus uh, talks to the demon, says, what's your name? And says, legion, for we are many. Legion was a, a, a division of the Roman 
army, which included 6,000 soldiers. We're not necessarily saying there's 6,000 demons in this person, but he's saying there are many. There's many demons who had control of this person or persons here in, um, in this account. And so demons can exert physical, mental, emotional, spiritual influence over a person. What, I, what we're not saying is that every disease, whether physical or mental, or every problem is demonic oppression, but some are, but some are. C.S. Lewis famously said that, you know, we, we tend to fall into one of two camps, one, or two, one of two errors where, where we, we never see demons, uh, we, we attribute nothing to what's wrong in this world to the demonic, or we attribute everything that's wrong to the demonic. And he says we should avoid either of those two errors. There's a, a debate within the Christian church whether believers in Jesus could be demonized. Uh, I believe that they can. Believers in Jesus can walk in agreement with demons, can give demonic access to our lives. Though we remain positionally in Christ, part of the kingdom of heaven, we, there are parts of our hearts, parts of our lives, parts of our bodies that we can give demonic access and strongholds to. Uh, a book I can highly recommend to you is Deliverance uh, by John Thompson, John without an H, Thompson. Uh, I'm not going to lend this out because when I lend books out, I rarely get them back. Um, and I want to keep this one because I've marked it up and, and all that. But you can buy it for 18 bucks on Amazon. You can deliver to your house tomorrow. John Thompson is a pastor in Ajax right now, Sanctus Church as an associated gospel church. Um, highly recommend it. It's um, very biblical, very goes through church history, literally walks through every passage in the New Testament that talks about demons um, and gives really a framework for ministry that I think is both faithful and helpful and powerful. Um, so I've commended this book fairly strongly. You get, get my drift if you're interested. But listen, he says, I, uh, you can be in a right relationship with God. Sorry, I'm of the age now where I need these. You want to know how old I am? I'm this old. <laughs> you can be in a right relationship with God positionally. Elected, called, adopted, sealed, seated with Jesus, sealed unto the day of redemption. As well as in right community with other believers, under the very word of God, yet still be inhabited by a demonic being, even though it does not own you. And then he continues on, another, kind of in a summary, he says, the demonic can inhabit a person... There can be one or many. They can manipulate them, manifest themselves in various ways and have different strengths. They can cause great harm and they can move into other people, animals, or environments. There are varied reasons why the demonic have rights, grounds, accesses, and privileges to people. They may have territorial rights or powers, like geographical. Possession is not an accurate term to describe the relationship between believers and the demonic. But there can be no denying that the demonic can impact, infect, and affect believers in devastating ways. The full range of positional truth about what believers have in Christ, with the full range of applicable terms like election and predestination, doesn't nullify the very experiences of continued life in the fallen world where demons do all they can to challenge the kingdom of God. There must be a greater power to overcome and remove demons, which shows us that this act 
is truly and always in some form a power encounter. They will always resist leaving their host. They can reside in people for short and long periods of time and can even be in people who are sitting under the written word of God in an environment dedicated to the true living God, like a synagogue. Jesus, when dealing with them, always spoke directly to them and sometimes asked for their names. Jesus did this in large and small groups, but never used it as a show. We should expect the same experience and responses today. So let me ask you, have you ever encountered demonic activity? If not, you probably have, but are simply ignorant. Ephesians 6 says that we wrestle, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. And if our eyes are blinded, if we are not on the lookout, if we are not concerned, if we are not thinking through and considering the possibility of demonic activity in the things that we see around us, it is possible that we are fighting this present darkness blindfolded and with Nerf guns instead of the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And so I'd say to you, if you, have, if you wonder, have I opened my life up to demonic influence? Have I walked in agreement? Is there some sin that I just cannot, I cannot get over? I can't gain victory over? Is there some effect in your life or in your family? Some recurring things? It is possible. And I would say this too, like, don't Seek to deal with it on your own. Don't go lone ranger on this one. Seek the help of your church. Seek the help of your pastors and elders, your life group. But we don't live in fear. So often when we think about demons, talk about demons, it can lead us to like great fear. But, but the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And there is power and authority in the name of Jesus, as we'll see, and in the word of Jesus. These demons, they accost Jesus and his disciples and say, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What do we have in common, Jesus? Have you come here to interfere with us? What We have nothing in common. They try to identify Jesus, which is a way of seeking to gain control over someone. That's an ancient belief in this time that if you are able to name someone or something, that you can exert control and influence over them. And so them naming and identifying Jesus as the Son of God is not them submitting to him, as the Son of God, but it's, ta- it's resisting him. It's trying to gain control over him, to out him, as it were. It's like the difference between, hey, you, stop, or, hey, Jim, stop. Right? There's, there's a different level of um, attention and authority. Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
They know, they know their end. They know that there is a time. There is an appointed end for them. You read about Revelation 20 and verse 10 where Satan, that great dragon, is thrown into the lake of fire with all of his demons. They know that that their time is coming. And they know, likely, that the reason Jesus came, according to 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil and his works. That's why he came. A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. I want us to note the authority of Jesus' word. You know, I've, I've highlighted that already in, in Matthew chapter 8, that there is that Jesus' word has authority. That Jesus' word must be obeyed and listened to. When Jesus says to the leper, I'm willing, be clean, he was clean. When the centurion just said, say the word, and my servant will be made well, he was made well when Jesus said the word. When Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and said, be still, then the forces of nature obeyed. And when Jesus says, go, demons go. That's why we are people of the word. That's why we are people committed to the word of Jesus, to the authority of, of the word of God and the spirit of God. But then there's this whole thing with the pigs, right? What's with the pigs? The whole situation, the whole, you know, demons wanting to go into the pigs is confusing. We can, can we agree on that? Like, what's the deal with, with pigs? <laughs> and, um, and then the, the pigs drowning and all of that. Um, I'll acknowledge that there's a lot of different interpretations of what's going on there. And I'll, I'll give you one that I think resonates with me and my spirit. Um, as I, this, is what I think, this is what I think is going on. But I could be wrong. And there's, there's a lot of really smart, godly people who would read this slightly different. But... Um, if you think about the questions, these two questions, why do the demons want to enter the pigs? You have any good, good reasons? Why, do, why would a demon want to enter the pigs? And why does Jesus allow them to enter the pigs? Again, there's a lot of theories um, about that. Um, yesterday morning, I was driving up to Camp Crossroads to pick up uh, some boys and bring them home. And somewhere on the 401 or the 400, I was listening to a song by Andrew Peterson. And one lyric in a song totally unrelated to this topic kind of convinced me of, okay, this is what I think. This is what I think is going on. I'll tell you the lyric in a minute. So why did the demons want to go into the pigs? Well, look at the effect of the demons going into the pigs. 
So the demons want to go into the pigs. Jesus allows it for whatever reason. The demons rush into a herd of pigs. The pigs then immediately run off a cliff and drown in the ocean and are destroyed and they all die. And uh, the herdsmen, I don't know what you call, they're like shepherds of pigs, so they're called herdsmen, I guess. Um, They went into the city and reported everything. They told everyone about what had happened. But note this, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. The emphasis of what they're telling is that, wow, like these people who are demonized have been set free. Amazing. But when the townspeople heard about the pigs and the people, they heard about their loss of commerce. So this is probably a a, a communal herd of pigs that the townspeople, each of them own some of them. And they've lost sources of their income. They've lost wealth because of Christ. Their response is, Jesus, get out of town. They chose their source of wealth, commerce, business, over people being set free over the kingdom of light coming over Jesus. Which I think answers the question, why did the demons want to enter the pigs? Because demons, devoted to death and destruction and chaos, will do whatever it takes to get people to reject Jesus. That's their aim. That's why demons influence people is because they wanted God's throne in heaven and then they're now on the earth they see another throne that ought to be occupied by God in the human heart in every human's heart and there they want to they want to take the place of God they want to sit on his throne in the human heart and they will do whatever it takes to get people to reject Jesus so why do they want to enter pigs they know that causing death and destruction of the source of income for these people will cause them to say no to Jesus, get out of town, which is their ultimate end. Make sense? I think that kind of makes sense. But then there's that question, why does Jesus allow it then? Why would Jesus allow them to do something that will cause people to reject him. It's helpful, I think, to read Mark's account of this this episode. In Mark chapter 5, you read all about this this same event. But Mark, Mark gives more detail. In Mark 5, verse 18... As he was getting in the boat, Jesus, so he's, he's, he's leaving because the people want him to leave. He's like, if I'm not welcome here, I'm not going to stay. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. That the, the man who's got a demon wants to come with Jesus. He's been set free. He's a believer in Jesus. I, Jesus, I want to come with you. But Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. 
So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. See, Jesus did not leave himself without witness. Jesus left at the, at the urging of the townspeople, but he left a witness or two who told them all that Jesus had done for them. And what's the effect? What effect does the witness of these two men who have been set free from demons that made them violent, that made them live in tombs, that made them you know, ostracized from society, what was the effect of their witness of being set free by Jesus in the Decapolis. Well, the next time we see Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, we, the next time we see Jesus coming back to the Decapolis, listen to what happens. You read this, Matthew 14, beginning verse 34. When they had crossed over, this is Jesus and his disciples, crossed over to the other side, they're coming to the Gentile region, they came to the shore of Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They begged him, that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. When Jesus returns to the Decapolis, there's crowds that follow him. And in fact, that's where the, the feeding of the 4,000 takes place among a crowd of people who are wanting to hear the teaching of Jesus, to be influenced by the ministry of Jesus, and, and are so devoted to him that they forget to bring food. So Jesus does a miracle feeding the 4,000. The lyric, the lyric that I heard yesterday on the 401 is talking about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, when it's all you have, it's all you'll ever need. When it's all you have, it's all you'll ever need. Sometimes things need to be removed from our lives in order for us to believe, to desire Jesus, to enter the kingdom, to, be a, to align with the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes things need to die in our lives. Sometimes things need to be removed. Sometimes Jesus isn't all that we have. And when he's not all we have, he's not all that we need. These people were so devoted to their profit in business and success that that actually needed to die in order for them to come and enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's things that get in the way. You see, you see there's sometimes... There's things that possess us. Sometimes things that exert ungodly influence in us that keep us from full devotion to Jesus and his kingdom. And those things some will need to die, to need to be removed from our life, which I think answers the question, why does Jesus allow it? Because he knew it was necessary for them to enter the kingdom. Why do the demons want to, want to enter the, the, the pigs? To, keep, to make people reject Jesus. Why does Jesus allow it? Because he knows, actually. He turns the evil plans of the evil one on its head and uses it for good so that people can enter the kingdom. Which is what the cross of Jesus is all about, right? That, that's like 
taking the greatest injustice and evil ever committed, the death and murder of the Son of God, and turning it on its head and using it for good. That's what God specializes in, in in thwarting the plans of the evil one and using them against him to accomplish his good purposes. But sometimes things need to be removed. Sometimes things get in the way. As Carolyn Cobb beautifully sings, there's a mountain only the lame can climb. There's a table only the hungry find. Only the beggar will have the currency when need is all you need. It's possible that the pigs influence people like the demons influence those men. And Jesus dealt with both. He came to destroy the devil and all his works. So what's it in your life? It's possible that your life, as you've walked in alignment and agreement with demonic and given access and strongholds to the demonic, and as a church community, we would love to minister to you and, 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 and deliver, bring deliverance and, and freedom into your life. But there's possible that there, are, that there is allegiances and devotion and, and things that you love more than Jesus in his kingdom. And we need to renounce those things too so that the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus is all we have. And when we find that's all we have, we'll find that it's all we'll ever need. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we pray that your word would have authority in our lives today that you would uh, convince us, Jesus, of your truth and your beauty, that you're worthy of our lives, that you're worthy of our love, our devotion, that your, your love, your life, is, is all we need. It satisfies us completely. And Lord, if there are things in our life that are getting in the way of our devotion to you, do you give us the grace to renounce them? to turn from them, and to wholeheartedly follow after you. And if there are any in the sound of my voice, Father, who, are, who, who have given access to the evil one, into their heart, into their life, Father, would you bring revelation and freedom in the name of Jesus? Give them courage to come forward, to, to, to reach out to a friend, to a, to a pastor, to, to someone who will walk with them, in understanding and understanding and walking a road to f- the freedom that is available to us in Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, accomplish all your purposes for us. Lead us into the fullness of life and joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.